0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge podcast. It's mad because this has been kind of the weirdest, most, I don't know, it's it's an emotional journey. We'll talk about that in a minute. A couple weeks of life. And because of that, I feel like we decided that we needed to come back and just have this conversation. This is going to be as much about hearing us discuss something for the first time together and processing together as it is about hopefully something useful for you our listeners but i thought that actually given that we've heard so much bad news in a little while i just wanted to give a couple of bits of good news that have happened for us and our friends and the people in our close circle recently right because it can be so so hard to just hear negative news those who've been listening to us for a long time you might remember back in season two we had on our good friend khalil um, talking about education and particularly how the education system works for Black young people, because he's a teacher. Uh, he's recently become a dad, so just big shout out to him, man. That's a huge step in his life and massive congratulations. Also to Chelsea Kwachi and ORE, who wrote the "Taken Up Space" book. They were also featured on season two. I read somewhere that that's looking up, having a TV adaptation, which is big, big moves because it's talking about how black women took up space in Cambridge University and what that looks like in the real world. So massive congrats to them. Also, again, season two, all these people on season two, man, that was a mad season. Um, George the Poet, again, our very close friend. Uh, you might have seen him going viral once again for some mad clip that happened, but he's doing amazing things and every single day seems to be out there on the front lines fighting the media and fighting anyone who wants to listen. Just kinda of dropping education and dropping knowledge. So just want to shout out him and huge respect. Um but without further ado, hello everyone. How are you all doing, Patrick,
1: you there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here man. Um I'm just yeah. I'm breathing. Out here. It's a mad time.
2: It's a mad time. I don't I can't really tell you how I'm how I'm feeling or how I'm doing. I'm just existing at the moment. But
0: mm. yeah. Mm, I hear that man like I think one of the things I was talking to Christy about yesterday was even Christy was on that season as well was even around how this question itself how you're doing in the last couple of weeks has felt a bit triggering so
2: yeah like I honestly I don't like my not if my manager hasn't even really said anything or checked in with me at work but my team lead has but like it's such it's become such a like flippant question like like, don't you see what's going on? What do you mean, how am I doing? Like,
1: yeah. do you know what
2: I mean? It's a bit mad. Um, and honestly, like, when people ask me how I'm doing, I don't even know what to say. I don't really know. I, I don't know. I can't process how I'm feeling at the moment. It's, it's all sort of, everything is sort of happening at the same time.
1: Everything is very overwhelming.
0: Yeah, um, I feel that. Um, Kweku, Tom, like, any reflections?
3: Yeah, man. I mean, I kind of. Kind of in the same boat as Patrick in the sense that it 's just tiring i 'm just tired man i think from when when it became a lot more publicized, of course this, we all know that this is something that 's been going on for forever, essentially police brutality anti black racism is something that we cover quite a bit in our in our podcast but I think the last week or so has just taken much more of a toll for me um. I think partly because just activity on social media and the way people are so so freely sharing videos of the occasions in which, (coughs) excuse me, um, you know we see all these different instances of police murder and it's being shown on video and Mm -hmm. and shared so freely is re-traumatizing for me in, in a lot of ways. And then when people Kind of look back and 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 give loads of examples of times when this has occurred on multiple occasions historically. Again, is kind of a reminder of how
1: globally black people are just
3: I don't even know the word terrorized
1: yeah in, in so many
3: bad. different contexts. Um, and and it's just painful to, to you know constantly be reminded that that's our position in society in in so many different places. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm quite, in a lot of ways, I'm quite pessimistic about how things are going to unfold. But I do feel like there is a different energy in, in these recent
1: recent protests and just the recent outcry, which
3: gives some reason for hope. But um, yeah, in, in, in short, I'm tired, bro. I won't lie, I'm tired.
0: I fully hear that. And I think what you said is, you know, like, this this tiredness that we feel um isn't out of nowhere it's because we've seen this before um we've seen people get on the streets before and we've seen things it happens cyclically and has been happening cyclically for a really long time and the tiredness comes from perhaps an element of that but also like you said there is a bit of a new energy at this current moment Um, but we're living in the moment so it can be hard to process exactly what that means right yeah, Tom. Any how, what's going on for you?
4: Yeah, man. I think just like everyone else has said, just really, really tired from seeing all of the all of the scenes. Um, and I think the craziest thing is that a lot of us, as black people, were kind of almost desensitized to these horrific scenes. And um that's the, I think that's the tragic thing about it, that you just, you know, you ingest it and you're like, okay, well, here we
1: go again. And yeah, there is a sense of pessimism. Um, and I'm pessimistic about kind of what's going on uh, and
4: then kind of the, the outcomes going forward. And it just, I was just thinking about it over the last couple of days. And it reminds me of a quote by W.E.B. Um, Dubois, who talks about this idea of like double consciousness that black people have and I'll just read the quote because I think it's quite interesting. And he says, it's a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, the sense of always looking up oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. And I think that's what, you know, this kind of brings to the forefront, that double consciousness that actually, the moment you think you're doing well individually or collectively, yeah. you are brought to a moment where you realize that somebody sees someone else who is black as worthless and therefore in a certain sense sees you as worthless and it really puts you in a state of cognitive dissonance yeah. and that is what makes everything really really tiring um, and what I would say is I think the reason why I think the energy is perhaps a little bit different this time is just simply because we've all been locked down so our, for a lot of us our lives have come to a standstill, or at least, you know, our lives, the pace of our lives, you know, is a lot more slower than what we would normally have. Like, we don't move as much. um, We're not traveling as much. We're not going to work, um, like, in masses, you know what I mean? Um, And so I think the world is actually, kind of has no choice but to take in these things Mm. um, in a time when actually things could have been ignored. And I think that's what gives it a slightly different spin on top of the fact that, Things just seemed to feel really rapid. So obviously, we had um, uh, George Floyd being murdered, and then previous to that, um, we had um, you know the situation in in Central Park, yeah, um, and we Bri- had but Taylor as well. And you know, we just it, it, everything just felt in such quick succession. So it was very just like it was sh- it was like it was a massive shock to the system. Uh, I think for everybody. So. Yeah, man, I think that's it really.
0: But yeah. Tom, you kind of touched on sort of my next point that I wanted us to sort of dive into a little bit, which was sort of as to why? Why now? You know, why do Black Lives Matter now? In a time where we've seen these big statements from some huge brands, some of them taking quite a stance, like the Ben and Jerry's one. Um, other brands just sort of giving these white these um blanket statements, I'd say which sort of don't really speak to what they're going to do, but mention some kind of move forward and taking a position. The question is, I mean, and you've spoken about this, Tom, but
1: why do black lives matter so much right now? Anyone? Um, I mean, I think, you know, like, The obvious point to
2: make is that you know black lives have has have always mattered i think it's just now it's become a less radical thing to say which is nuts when you deep it like to think saying black lives matter is a radical position because i remember you know when the black lives matter protests sort of really
1: started around i think it was like 2014 um with mike brown and then Obviously, people
2: were um, protesting for Trayvon Martin that passed away a couple of years before that, and then when, when things sort of really started to take um, pick up pace, it was still an incredibly radical position for non Black people to say, and even Black people to say as well. Um, I remember certain Black people back then were still doing the all lives matter thing as well, and um, mm-hmm. but yeah, for me, I've got to say that I'm very cynical. Like, obviously, I'm happy that. Progress has been made over the six years where now you have brands able to say Black Lives Matter with their chests. Mm. Um, and I'm seeing it like everywhere, and it feels very surreal. Like, this whole year has been a surreal one. 2020 has been the weirdest year. I mean, Vibes mm-hmm. Cartel just dropped a track that sounds like uh, Panic at the Disco, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Is that actually him? That's him. Wow That's him. Anybody, um. That hasn't listened to it yet go listen to it now it's called not okay and i mean maybe the man you know with everything that's going on maybe it is a cry for help maybe he's not okay but my point is is that yeah um it's been very surreal to see these brands now saying Lives not with their chest and putting up these statements because i remember very very clearly that was a radical position like even yesterday me and my sister jumped on cod And the first thing you see when you turn on COD, imagine the game, Call of Duty, by the way, the gaming space, the online gaming space is a very, very racist and very white-dominated environment. To hop on Call of Duty online and see, the first thing you see is a Black Lives Matter and then a statement from um, Activision to the developers of Call of Duty. Like, it's it's mad, it's mad. So for me, I think the progress, the, the fact that it's no longer a radical position is progress, but I am still very cynical about um, the, sen- the 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 sentiment the true sentiment behind it wow. are we doing this now because people just want to be on the right side of history, I mean that I guess is a, a small victory but even still um, there is a large element of superficiality to that um, and I want to know what these brands, what these big companies what these influencers people are really going to do going forward now that they've seemingly become enlightened. Are you going to decolonize your way of thinking? Are you going to decolonize your, your workplaces? Um, are you going to um, champion causes um, that, um, get, that get rid of, that weed out um, racism in your environments, um, from microaggressions to overt racism, to structural oppression, um, systemic racism? Are we gonna start decolonizing these oppressive structures that we have in our society? You know, are we gonna decolonize the police? Are we gonna abolish police? Are we gonna defund police? Do you know what I mean? Are people really about it? Are they really about this message? Or is it just like, oh, this is the right thing to say, so we're gonna say it, but I don't know if we can really follow through with these radical actions. Like so basically for me to sum it up, the radical message has been accepted, but are the in quote radical Um, the radical political changes, are they going to be accepted Mm. and are they going to be adopted? Let's see. But I don't know if I hold up much hope, but, you know, let's see.
0: Mm. So there's that question then of currently black lives seem to matter to everyone in the world and to these big organisations, but will they matter tomorrow? Um, Will they matter the day after? Will they matter in a few months' time when um, they're actually asked to do the work? I wonder, I don't know, to be honest, do you think um, that organisations that are putting out these statements actually know what their next steps
3: are? Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. I don't know how... I mean, a lot of the people, a lot of the organisations, brands, etc., that were putting out messages on social media, it all seemed very reactive. Because it may be the case they saw other organizations and brands putting our messages and they thought, okay, cool, like we need to do the same. Um, and maybe have not gone the, the extra mile into actually thinking about tangible action steps that are required. Um, I think one thing, just to touch on what Patrick was saying, I'm similarly very kind of like cynical. Um, I do feel that it was very much a. Um, there's, a, there's somewhat of a pressure to show that you do care about this matter and that you're not quiet about it. Um, I do feel for, for some it is probably coming from a genuine place. But one thing that a friend of mine said which mainly made me, well, gave me an interesting perspective on it was that the, the way in which a lot of these brands and, and you know corporates have had to Um, kind of speak out on this issue in some way it forces them to stick their neck out Mm -hmm. and with them having to with them doing that it I mean I've seen so many instances of people then responding to those tweets and saying but hold on receipts like if that's how you really feel how Mm -hmm. come you know a month ago you were doing this how come uh, there's so many yeah, there's so many examples of when they've they've kind of blatantly not followed through with the sentiment that they're showing now. Yeah. Um, that it allows us to just kind of pull their skirts up and say, "Listen, like <laughs> you, you're talking a good one, but you've historically not been about it." And that's yeah. not to say that there's no you know there's no space for them to then acknowledge their their you know yeah. their past actions and and make amends and actually try to make a change in how they operate um, but that's something that needs to be they need to be called up on after this whole you know there's less publicity around this issue and it does mean as well that we need to hold them accountable and we need to know how we will react if it is the case that they continue to implement um, you know either overtly racist or anti-black um sentiments or actions and also you know even when it comes to like things patrick mentioned microaggressions the way in which the um, black employees are treated um if they don't follow through with those we need to kind of know how we're going to react and the way that i feel was most appropriate is to not spend our money with these brands not spend our money with these companies and are we in a position where we can I mean, there's some responsibility that rests with us to ensure that we do follow through with that and ensure that we hit them where it hurts, and that's with their the bottom line so yeah it's it's good in a sense that they stuck their neck outs and we can now hold them accountable and there's receipts online like the internet doesn't forget we can pull up tweets we can to get me. so it's really about how we can ensure that we fully hold them accountable
0: yeah and it's interesting because this whole thing of being on the right side of history right um not just organizations and brands but a lot of just general people were that i've never seen before personally were posting up black squares on tuesday for blackout tuesday and writing these comments and then the next day we're posting like iced coffees and sandwiches and you know, me going for my walk. Not to say that you can't do both, but also it was very, I felt that a lot of those gestures were quite tokenistic. Um, I was speaking to a friend recently who said that whilst they had a lot of non-black um friends, very close to them who were doing that and even in like close proximity were talking about, uh you know, what, how much they care and whether or not they're going to go to protests and things like that, just didn't ask um, my friend whether they were okay and that was all they kind of needed. What would you suggest are like the things that not big brands and organizations can do, but just the average everyday person who's now suddenly
1: seeming to be interested in this movement? No one. I was just—I had something to say, but I want to see if anybody else had anything to say. That's cool. Um, I think that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Um, Mm. I think. I think you just got to start seeing us as 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 human, like. And it sounds like a mad thing to say, but with anything, if you support someone or something you do your you, you do your work you know you you
2: like if someone used this analogy on twitter the other day with a football team like if you support your football team right you will support them you'll watch their matches you'll find out about the players you'll get into like you know the, the news behind it you'll read up about them you'll f- support them financially you'll go and watch the matches in the stadium or you'll buy a football kit like when you support something mm. You just it, 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 it's, there's not a single one way to support something, but you do what you you need to do to um, to, sh- to to show. I, I don't even know if it's about showing, but uh, it's difficult to explain.
4: But for no, me, no, 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 like, I, I, I hear you, man. It's it's like sorry, Patrick. I, I definitely I haven't heard this analogy, but like the the actions speaking louder than words, like just lip service words.
2: Um, yeah I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean it's, a, it's, it's, it's a weird one to ask someone like for me personally it's weird for me to be, hear people asking you know how can I support I think you've got to just like listen and observe and then and then act do you know what I mean there's enough people that are talking about ways you, that you can support what you can do you can support by um, signing petitions you can support by physically showing up at protests you can support by Amplifying the voices that of people that um, that have already established platforms. Like, there's so many, there's so many options. There's so many things that you can do to help. That asking someone, "What can I do to support?" is a bit of a. It's, it just shows to me that you've not really bothered to do the work yourself mentally in your head, you know. And I think when it comes to like your friends on a day-to-day basis and stuff like that, um, I think that might be a, a slightly harder one because everybody is reacting in this period in different ways to what's going on. Um, and I think you've just got to be in the same way that like when someone has a bereavement, you Mm -hmm. will know, or you will, you will broach the right way to, to approach them. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out or at least you'll be careful and you'll be tentative. Do you know what I mean? You will, you'll be sensitive to what they're going through and try and suggest the best ways um, that you can help or, you know, just alleviate some pain or something. Um, often, um, you know, you might get it wrong. Your tact might be incorrect in the first place and you might elicit an upset or angry reaction. But that's just part and parcel of that situation. And I think that's the same here. Like non-white people, um, non-black people that are listening, you know, if you reach out to your black friends, I'm not going to tell you the blueprint or give you a template on how to talk to them. You, if you're if If you're really friends with that person, you will find a way to communicate with them, to show them that you know you are looking out for them, that you care about them and you empathise with their pain. Like th- That's why for me, the whole how can I support question is a weird one because it's like there's no one size fit all, but you, the, the, the one thing that you should be doing is just doing the basic recognition of our humanity and then go from there.
0: Yeah, I fully hear that, man. And one of the things that you spoke about in there was if you can show up physically in protests you know not everyone's able but if you can then that's one thing you can do to be there um, let's talk about the protests whilst we're at that you know like this week in London uh, where we are coming from all of us well not Tom anymore um, there was specifically like protests that took place in London uh, a lot of people obviously this is a stupid point I don't want to even put the labor into this try and Say that this is an American problem and not a UK one, but people are showing up here in London because we too have issues. Patrick or
1: Kweku, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the way that the protests have gone down in London? Um, I haven't actually gone to any
3: of the protests, so I'm going to have to uh, kind of give it to Patrick to, to touch on that. But I think one thing I'll say is with the, you know, it's been a lot of backlash from the wider public about people gathering to to protest considering the you know the pandemic and um the the risk that is involved with people gathering in large crowds and it kind of goes to show the double standards that a lot of people have when it comes to to this particular issue because you know we've had so many instances of people gathering in parks in in large audiences going to Brighton Pier, like there's so many, so many instances of it. And we're talking about thousands of people every, any occasion where it's, it's, it's hot <laughs> in, in the UK and you don't see that kind of same level of outcry um, when those things are occurring. So that's, that's one observation I've, I've had around that. But again, it's, it just goes to show how angry and how painful it is for us that we are, we are willing to put ourselves, you know, at risk, in, in, in one sense in order to release, in order to, to demonstrate that we are angry and things need to change. Um, but as far as how the protests have actually gone down, yeah, I'm, I was, I'm not too sure, so I'll let, I'll let um, Patrick touch on that.
1: Um, so yeah, I'll just, um, disc- disclaimer, I haven't been to the protests yet, um, uh,
2: basically my mum is high risk. And if I was living on my own, I definitely think I would be down there. Um, but I'm just kind of wary of putting my mom at risk uh, while I'm I'm living back with back in my family home. Um, so I haven't been down there yet this year. But I have oh, my
3: bad. Not for yet. My bad. No,
2: no, 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 no. Um, no, it's fine. Um, but I've been to um, I've been to many Black Lives Black Lives Matter protests over the years. Um, right from like the very beginning. Um, and yeah, I think the fact that this is, to, to just echo your point quickly, the fact that this is taking place in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, in a country where we have, I think the highest death rate now in the world, um, the fact that this is all going on, just shows you how much um, how, 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 how much we've had enough Like We have literally had enough. I think that is the best way for me to really sum up how I'm feeling as well like um we have collectively had enough um and before we went on before we started recording um quaker you made like a really good point about how there is this kind of venn diagram and um, that's contributed to this very unique situation uh, where we have um 19 this worldwide pandemic the world in lockdown um that coupled with the fact that um black and minority ethnic but we're talking about black people here so black people um, are up to four times more likely to die from COVID-19. Um, that and the fact now that we are having to see yet again um, all over social media and the media now um, the killing of unarmed black people um, by the police um, but also by fellow citizens. Let's not forget Ahmed um, Arbery was killed by um, a civilian. Um, and also um, the high profile case of Benny Majinga as well, um, who uh, died after being spat at by someone uh, with COVID-19. Um, um, she was um, a transport worker for TFL, was forced back to work despite um, Fearing for her personal health and her safety, and uh, ended up passing away uh, weeks later in hospital. Now, that case has not been investigated properly. Um, the police have not released um, the CCTV footage, even though London is um, among the most um, surveilled uh, cities in the world. Um, so, there is a lot of pain, and it feels like at every single juncture in this lockdown and in this, in this pandemic, we are reminded of how very little black lives um, matter, at least from um, the, the establishment's perspective. Um, so, yeah, this, this pain that we're feeling, like it's, it's, not as, it's not a joking that people are going out in the middle of a pandemic um, to, to protest for their humanity, and it's, it's nowhere near comparable to people that are going out to the beach. Mm. Um, to sunbathe during a pandemic, or doing a conga line for VE Day. When okay, it's the 75th anniversary, but I've never seen that kind of energy for VE Day before. But it is where it is. Um, but yeah, this is not a joke thing. Like I want everybody to be, that's listening to hear this. Like we're not we're this this thing of going out to protest. We're not doing it lightly. We're not doing it because it's a bit of fun. Um, Gary Lineker today was tweeting about how you know. Both sides, the people that go to the beach and people that are protesting for Black Lives Matter, they both don't see the fault of the um, of themselves and calling out faults on the other side. It's not uh, 50-50, we're as bad as each other, both sides debate. It's not that at all. People that are at the beach or people that are breaking lockdown to go and do block parties or whatever, that's not, that's not the same as what people are out in the streets protesting for our humanity. That's not the same thing. Um, yeah I, think, yeah.
1: I think
0: it takes it takes a lot of pain for you to decide to protest during a pandemic, right? Like I my often in my day-to-day job I'm flicking around from here to there to everywhere within the space of a day. And in this entire period of lockdown, uh, yesterday was the first time I went into central London, not because I wanted to, but because I really felt I had to. And um, for me personally, I felt that I needed to just see. Um, And it was actually, it was part of my healing process to actually see the numbers of people that were gathered at the protest, which was so joyous and peaceful um, for the same reasons. And what was actually really heartwarming was to see so many younger people. Like, I mean, like teenagers. There was a lot of teenagers just out there.
2: Yeah. That's that's where the vitality is. That's where the energy comes from. Mm. Um, I remember... You see, on Kendrick Lamar's Pimper Butterfly" in his last track, when he has that interview with um, Tupac. Oh, about being thirty and that, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. yeah. About that. And yeah. he was saying, you know, um, it's the young people that are gonna lead the change because once you get to thirty, it's like they take the 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 energy out of you. Like you, you stop wanting to push weights and you stop wanting to fight back. Yeah. Um, and even though that's not the case across the board. Um, the main thing is that, yeah, it's the youth that will always, always be like the sharp end. I think of this, like the, there is, there is a wealth of experience with age. Mm. Um, and obviously um, this is no, this is no disrespect to our elders. Um, and even us, we're turning into uncles now. Do you know what I mean? Um, but we have to tell (laughs) It's true. we got, (laughs) um, I don't want to admit it, man. (laughs) But we have to temper the, the or balance the, the experience and wisdom that the older generations have with the energy and vitality of the youth that are, that are able to go out because they don't have to necessarily um, go to work and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? They have, they have that, um, an element, a, a, a slightly sort of bigger element of freedom. Um, but maybe that's an indictment on ourselves, you know, that we are we feel restricted because we need to go to work and we need to do this and that. Um, maybe that is part of our decolonization process um, as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well,
4: I also I just want to say like because I've been thinking about this, the point about you know getting older and what it does to your psyche and stuff. I also think you just become you become so worn down, and you kind of you begin to see life what it is and, 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 and you sort of get to a point where you realize that you as an individual you can't do much to change the earth you need a lot of collective action to do it whereas when you're younger you don't necessarily have that point of view you think you can take on the world just by yourself and mm. you have a lot more energy and you're not worn down and you haven't given so much shock therapy so to speak.
2: Mm. Um, you know what I think it is also I think when you're one thing that we don't realise as human beings is that our life on Earth is relatively short. Mm. And the things that we're doing now, we, might, we may not see the fruits of the labour. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Yeah, when
2: word, word. And when you're young, you think that all this energy that I'm expending now, I'm going to see the fruits of my labour in my lifetime. That might, might not happen. And I think the reason why we, as we get older, we, get, we become more disillusioned is because we really believe that because we're not seeing the fruits of our labour, it's worthless. But it's not. It's not. Um, All these things that we're doing, we're contributing to something that is bigger than us. And even though we may not see it ourselves, unfortunately, and it it breaks my heart to even think that way, but our kids and our grandkids and their kids will see the benefits of what we're doing today. Because the same way that our ancestors fought, like, a lot of them didn't make it. Do you know mm. what I mean? A lot of them, their lives were cut short early mm. um, before they were able to see the abolition, of, for example, the abolition of slavery or the independence of their countries. Like, they didn't see those things, but because of their fight, we are now able to be in the position that we're in today. So mm-hmm. I think we all need to just on that, Patrick, remember...
0: I just, go on. I just wanted to say, like, a lot of people get really disillusioned and be like, oh, it's so bad. And it is really easy when that's the media that you're consuming and seeing on your, po- on your social media feeds all the time to be like, this is a sad and terrible situation. But obviously we, we are, and I hate using this word, but we, we have progressed from some point in history, right? But what I love about particularly this younger generation coming up is they're very, very active in saying, but that's not good enough. Um that we have to wait we have to wait for generations to say that we need to change one generation at a time. I think the newer generation from the energy I've observed from them have this I don't know this fire where it's like that's not enough. Uh we need justice and we need it now, we don't need to wait, which I think is really powerful.
3: Yeah, and I think there's still there's still stuff that um I mean whether we you class, you class ourselves in the, the older generation or not, I think we, we kind of sit somewhere in the, in the middle as far as like two generations goes. But if we're not out there on the front line with the same vim and the same energy as the younger lot, we can, we can play our roles in, in any way that we can. And part of that might be the fact that, you know, we've, we're at a stage where we may have been working for a few years, may have a little bit of capital behind us, um, yeah. have a bit of more wisdom than than the younger lot and we can guide them. Like if it's if we can't be um more active on the front line, we can mentor them, we can put money behind their campaigns. Like we can still play our part even if you know we are a bit more tired as far as like being like really, really out there with it.
2: 100 mm. percent agree. Um and I think for me, um, because I've not been able to be on the front lines this time around, um, I've really kind of taken a look at like what I can fund, what, what, where can my, my, my um, hegemony, where can my power go to support what we're doing? Um, and I think, yeah, it has to be like an a, a intergenerational thing. We're all fighting the same thing and there's different um, strategies, there's different, um, there's different elements, there's different moving parts of this machine which is all moving towards um, the same direction. But uh, since we're sort of talking about like aims and goals, um, I was wondering if we could sort of
1: broach the topic of um, what to do with the police, what to do with um, uh, law enforcement,
2: and you know, what are the things that we want to see changed uh, when it comes to these kind of things? Because, um, like I was saying before we started recording, um, I've seen a lot more talk. Um, especially this week about um, the abolition of the police or defunding of police and it's, it's a position that I'm a
1: relative sort of novice on but for me it's a very interesting dis- discussion so yeah yeah I'm not too well read on this topic either
3: um, but I did see a, f- a thread from I think she's a right-on Rick and Morty. Uh, she she kind of self-described as a kind of white, upper-middle-class woman, posh, etc. And she talks about the idea of literally abolishing police or just completely well, de- defunding them to a large extent. And it just, you know, it, it, it made clear to me that as as radical as we might think we are in our views, there's some things that are so ingrained and so entrenched in the way we view the world that we never consider what it could be like without it. Mm. And I try to think about what would it actually be like? My initial reaction was like, well, well I'll go for the, the criminals. Like I need to be protected. Do you get me? Like, <laughs> obviously we know that where, you know, people that may be criminally inclined, a lot of the root causes of that will, is around that poverty and trauma and experiences they might have been through at a young age but at the same time there is an element where cool like we still need to we still need protection um as a society but then i think there are certain ways in which you know back in the day the community itself would have regulated itself there would have been um instances where you know elders in the community can can protect the the younger generation and each other from um when there's cases of um behavior that is detrimental to the the to the community so it's it's hard to think about what it's like um what it would be like without police and the presence and the extent of the power that they do have but i'm i'm like super open to that conversation and i think we do have to think a little bit out, outside of the box um because you know as as, as people are saying it is when you're trying to change a system sometimes it is just literally dismantling it dismantling it completely and then building from there so yeah i'm super i'm super like interested in in hearing more about that that thought and i'm yeah going to try and do a little bit more research around that
0: yeah I think yeah it, sorry go on Bill. i think it opens a really interesting question as to um well for one why do we need to abolish the police like obviously there like there are reasons that people feel that way right which is to do with how oppressive they are as an institution but for two how do we redesign society so that we could exist without police right because to abolish the police but still exist in an oppressive society doesn't really make any sense because there will always be um inequ- inequity in the world and i think to abolish, the police, to abolish the police force without actually designing systems of justice doesn't really make sense for the world in which we live. However, um, there's something in there about redesigning the police. So if we redesign the police to take away uh, some of that just natural, that seems inherently natural inclination to see some people as criminal and some people as not, to redesign the police force in terms of understanding what their role is in terms of serving people and not harming people. Mm -hmm. These were there as fundamentals, whereas what I think is, apologies if I'm wrong, but what I see as the case across, you know, particularly the US and the UK, is that certain, particularly certain types of people, more than others, are attracted to be policemen because they have almost a license to exercise and authority over others, which perhaps they've always wanted to exercise.
2: Mm. Bilal, you raised two really good points there. Um, I think I, I 100% agree that um, defunding or um, abolishing the police um, as an isolated um, course of action is, is, is problematic. It's not something that's sustainable because um, it's part of a wider system. The system of police, um, policing is part of. A wider white supremacist, uh, capitalist, patriarchal system, um, and basically, I was I was talking to my mum about this the other day because um, I think she she was telling me about how T D Jakes was because she 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 listens to like a lot of sermons online now, mm-hmm. um, one of the, the the new things out of lockdown, um, but he was sort of extolling people to. To make change by going to the voting booth um, and making change that way um, electorally. And I was saying to her that, you know, as respectfully as I could, um, that's not something that I'm on board with because we are trying to fix a system um, that is actually functioning as it should. Um, yeah. So the issue is not that the system needs fixing. The issue is that the, the system uh, needs overturning. Um, we and this is Back to what Crakey was saying earlier as well. It's very difficult for us to imagine a, um, a society that that um, that is different to ours now because um, this has kind of been around for about 450 years. Like the the economic system that we have today is built on a legacy of transatlantic slavery, right? Yeah. Um, if you look around the world, um, a lot of the um, world's stock exchanges um, are at the site of um, slave markets. Um, I believe that's the case in London, um, that's the case in Rio de Janeiro and I think it's the case in New York. Um, so we this is this is the, the system um, that we've built, or I say we, this is a system that has been built and this is what it's built on. I don't think there's any way to reform a system like this because it is predicated on poison. Um, so that is some, like the ab- abolition of police for me is something that is tied up in a wider movement of decolonization and moving away from this white supremacist capitalist system that we have. Um, unfortunately, f- unfortunately for me, as, a, as I tend to be quite pessimistic, I feel like overturning that system, for that to happen, it's going to be a struggle of epic proportions like that the people that hold power are not going to give it up so freely so that's why for me, going back to what I said at the beginning, I'm very cynical about what are people's next steps now that they've accepted the radical notion in inverted commas that black lives matter, what are their radical in inverted commas next steps um, and sorry, just one more thing the other thing that you mentioned Bilal, um, about you know what is the role of police I think the first thing that we need to get into our minds, because I'm seeing this a lot on social media, is that um, people um, have misunderstood the purpose of the police. I keep seeing people saying that the police are there to protect us. That is categor- categorically and demonstrably untrue. The police are not there to protect the everyday citizen. The police are there to protect the interests of the state, especially in our Western um, Western white supremacist capitalist society the police are there to protect the interests of the state and to maintain um, law and order in vet commas um, uh, among the populace um, for the benefit of the ruling class um, so that is the first thing i think that people really need to understand that the police aren't actually here to protect us mm. um, and it, if, you, if you don't believe me just look at the way that the police have responded to these protests going on all around the world is the the consistencies are glaringly obvious. Um, the police are basically trying to... they're, they're, they're using police brutality against us for p- protesting against police brutality. They're using racism against us um, for protesting against their racism. So it's, it's very clear and obvious that the police are not here to protect the everyday citizen. Protecting citizens is something that can sort of occur um, within their mandate but it's like as soon as that contravenes the protection of the state they're happy to 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 brutalize us they've been doing it to black people and now they've been doing it to everyone because people of all colors and all races are now coming out and saying that you know this is wrong and it's like it's mad to me because it's like to the white people that are now shocked that the police will now brutalize them for trying to help us this is what we've been saying all along like eventually this fascism that is just affecting black people, people of colour, um, marginalised groups, is going to come for you as well. Because once, as soon as you start opening up, um, so speaking up against the system, that fascist system will come for you as well. So yeah, that's what people, I think people really need to get this mentality that the police are here to protect us out of. That, that's a myth. Um, and that's, I think, where we need to start from.
1: I have a
0: guest that I'd love to bring on about this actually and hopefully he's even listening and he knows who he is um, but I think I think it's really interesting when we think about what are we actually aiming for because are, are we aiming for the end of the police are we aiming for the end of um, like organisations causing harm and perpetuating harm in the way that they um, just have their everyday practices uh, are we aiming for a whole reparations thing are we aiming for certain people to get their coins at the moment and i think i think it there's so many interesting questions there and i guess everybody comes to look like, even when you are at protest just by reading people's signs right you see that a lot of people are experiencing pain in a very different way and also a lot of people are there for very different causes all under one umbrella of yes we do believe that black people's lives matter and fundamentally that's why i'm here but in that there are so many different individual aims and objectives right um one of the ones that i just want to talk about briefly is this idea of like societal country reparations versus individual uh, acquisition of wealth
1: and capital as a response to what's happened. Does anyone have any thoughts on that? That's a super, super interesting
3: question. Um, at times, I've, I kind of find myself in that the kind of second category where I'm like, yo, what we need to do is just get our coins, get peas, yeah. we can be independent of all of these situations because in a lot of ways, economic power is... Is is key when it comes to um, having an element of freedom within within a racist society, and I don't know. I do I do feel that, but a lot of times I feel like, do you know what? At the same time, is is good, and I think we need it. As far as when we talk about like group economics and mm. and and really being in a, a stronger financial position, but that's that's is limited in the sense that that's gonna there's benefit to it but it's not going to really at least in the short to medium term save us from police brutality save us from the uh, microaggressions or um, overt racist attacks and um, difficulties and and, um, issues when it comes to um, inequality that that we do currently face Um, so I want to say in in a sense that there's that is an important thing to do, but it's, it can't be done in isolation. That's not gonna. That's not gonna solve all our, all of our problems. Um, one thing that I, a point of view that I found really interesting is actually from George. He did a um, an interview on Channel Four. Um, I think it's part of a podcast called Ways to Change the World, and in it he demonstrated something that was is a weird one. I think it's something that I'd class as like positive pessimism where he's come to the realisation that, and yeah, forgive me George, if I'm not kind of interpreting what you said correctly, but he feels as if we have to accept that the government for one, don't have an incentive to look out for our interests, given the fact that we are a minority in this country and the, the consequence of not um looking after our interests is minimal because the the vast majority of the country is white and mm. um as long as they are catering to the demands of white people and you know is even is an, and within the subset of white people it's you know middle class white people and now you know particularly of an older generation um as long as they are appealing to their interest then whatever issues we have in (laughs) as a black community is 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 minimal is this kind of like a side a side thing um and for that reason we need to take it upon ourselves to solve our own um our own issues and that is something that is quite it's sad it's a sad thing to to come to realization about but at the same time there is an element of for me um, there is some sort of freedom that comes from it in a sense that we are now acting in a way in which we are seeing things for what they are and now we can say okay cool these lot can't do whatever they're not going to do anything for us what can we now do- what can we now do like kind of bring us to the drawing board and really have an internal conversation about what can be done and it could be you know in the space of social enterprise it could be um, um you know the group economic stuff it could be um yeah. investing our money in within our communities mentoring our our younger people i mean there's so many different things that need to be that need yeah. to be addressed
0: like, um, I, I'm, I'm personally yeah. at a weird position on all of this right because my job is i'm an anti-oppression facilitator right that's literally what i get paid to do is talk about this stuff and train people Um, However, for the last three months, no one has wanted to pay me to do that because of this pandemic. But in the last, I'd say, 72 hours, I've had 23 requests for work, um, which is like my figures in comparison to this. the way that my work normally comes in. Um, I'm very, very happy that there is suddenly a demand to have the conversations and potentially do the work for yourself around this stuff. But also, I'm in a weird place where I'm like, I've always, you know, this has been my life's work and money comes in as a result of that. However, I feel like to be profiting off of something which is actually pain and traumatic and grief for so many people around the world without reinvesting and redistributing that wealth in some way to help the wider community at large feels a little bit pointless you know um like i even had a guy like one one friend of mine one white guy message me and go look man i've realized that there's not there's not much i can really do to change this entire system but i want to vote with my coins uh which which organizations are doing the work for me to give my money to and i thought that was a really interesting way of seeing the role of an ally or seeing the role of someone who's just an outsider to feeling the pain. Um, I don't know. That's just sort of my reflections on all of this, man.
4: Let me just chime in. I've just, I, I, you have to forgive me for being kind of near radio silent. I've just been taking in what everybody's been saying. And obviously, um, as tired as everyone else, even though I'm away from London now, I've moved to the continent. um, but even still, even in this place of solace, it's still kind of just seeing what's going on back home is quite, a tra- and, and of course in the US, and just more globally, it's just traumatic to see.
1: Um, in terms of, I guess, going forwards, I, I, I think you've all touched on these, this, this point, but for
4: there to be any progress made with regard to black people actually being treated as humans and not merely three-fifths of a human, um that essentially needs, and particularly if I look at the the, the the numbers, population numbers in the United States. So they're about, you know, 10% of the population are about black, there and they're about, you know, plus or minus. For progress mm-hmm. to actually be made in that regard, you need buy-in from white people um, for that to actually be made. And I'm talking about like institutional change. In terms of corporates, in terms of the government, in terms of you know, policing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm cynical that even happens in the first place. Um, I'm not saying there won't be some kind of buy-in, but I don't think the buy-in reaches any tipping point in terms of numbers anytime soon. Just look at who's in the White House. Just look at who's at number 10. Um, and that tells you everything you need to know. Um, in a way, you almost have to, you know, as black people, we have to vote with our feet and vote with our coins. And I don't mean I don't mean vote as in like go to the voting booth because, as Patrick said earlier, I mean it's 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 a futile exercise. Um, regardless of whether you're left or right, they all kind of say the the that the, they have the same message to say. Uh, by and large, it just has a different spin on it. Um, uh, you know, the only politician I've I've come like white politician I've come and seen that I said Black Lives Matter is Jeremy Corbyn, but even he's never been you know he's never been widely accepted because he has such, quote, radical, unquote, views. Um, there is that kind of sense where you realize you must have to do this by yourself and collectively as a community. Um, and that's obviously difficult because of uh, what you, I think somebody said that, you know, that the protest, protest everybody was coming together under one umbrella for different reasons. And I hope this is a wake up call that we actually just have to help each other as a as a as a community. And I don't mean oh, just help each other. I actually mean genuinely. um, You know, people think about putting money together. If you're you're capable, you know, if your pockets are capable, you can put somebody together. If you're capable of mentoring people, you have to do that. No one's going to help our community. No one has helped our community before. And I'm talking in big sizes, of course. There have been. You know, there I have been people who, who, who empathize with, 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 with black people and the, and, and the oppression that they've been through. But no one, um, you know, since the brutalization of black bodies began in big size has ever supported black people. Mm-hmm. And that is unlikely to change. Let's be honest. People are now just waking up saying, oh, my God. And I think also the situation with the, let's just call her, Karen in Central Park, you know, talking about the guy calling the police on the guy who was bird watching That was a wake-up call, I think, for a lot of people. And it was funny, Piers Morgan, who I don't really have a lot of time for half the time, but he was like, yeah, he did an interview and said, oh my God, I've kind of woken up and seen what this white privilege is about. It's like, well, we've been trying to tell you for years, but you just suddenly feel accused. And it's like, you know, and oh my God, you're saying I have white privilege. It's like, well, and he finally got it and he understood. I mean, when we all saw it, we all knew what the woman was trying to do. And, and the fact is the world couldn't deny it. We have to put ourselves... Um, first as a people, um, you know, we have to, you know, especially, and, and I, I can really speak for black, black Brits here. And, uh, you, you know, we see that before, but we can't have this whole bullshit African versus Caribbean thing. All jokes. I mean, there's the jovial aspect to it there in a serious way because they see us by and large all, all, all the same way. Um. Yeah. They don't see the nuance. They don't see the nuance of our oh, Someone originally is from Ghana, Nigeria, Jamaica, Trinidad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They don't see, they see none of that. Um, just see us as a black face. We all had the same or similar shared experiences. You know, being chased around by security guards at shops um, if you're not dressed up. Even if you are dressed up, fuck it. Just, sorry, part of my language, but sorry, sorry guys. But like, you're still getting pursued the same way. Someone's still asking you, can you serve the tea and coffee in corporate functions? Yeah. Um. You know, what I mean, it's like I've spoken to a bunch of people who work in in more corporate settings and, you know, different companies have said different things. And, you know, the interesting thing is that you've often seen genuine responses from people who are close to the top that are black because they can and they have the authority to to do so. But a lot of people you have to remember in the corporate space, a lot of people who are black are not senior. Um, And so there's that kind of process as well. So Patrick, you made a good point earlier that we might not see. I don't want to call it a promised land because I don't, I don't even—that's that's too optimistic for me right now. But we won't even see some kind of betterness in our generation. But we have to think about this as a multi-generational problem, and we have to take counsel from the older generation as well as scorn them for the the, the kind of differences that they have. Because our racism, by and large, apart from—I mean, not by and large—that's the wrong way to put it—but there's aside from the element of black brutality. There's also the covert racism that goes on as well. You know, the way people talk about, Oh, he, 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 he's too aggressive or she's, uh, you know, just the the normal corporate stuff that gets thrown at you, regardless of whether you wear a bloody shiny suit or not. Um, and we have to also guide the younger generation as well. Um, and, and, and help them understand things a little bit more from our lens, but still allow them to channel their energies as well. Um, in terms of reparations, look, I think reparations have they have happened. You just have to look up uh uh you look at what happened after World War Two in Germany and the kind of you know, how apologetic they were to uh Jews uh you know, during the time and essentially trying to help them
2: get back up. Um, you know. Even even the slave masters that the abolition of slavery, you know, we just finished paying off their reparations in 2015. So
4: (laughs) exactly. So it's, you know, and I don't, I actually, you know, look, I I think reparations could be a good thing in practice, but let's be honest, it's never going to, it's never going to be a discussion. That's ever going to come forward. It's going to be slammed down by the powers that be, because it's, it's a structure that serves them and serves them only. Do you know what I mean? And Patrick, when you say, yeah, that's right. In, in theory, the police should be serving our best interests. However, you are completely correct that they serve the ruling class. They serve the people that make the laws. At the end of the day, it's a ruling class that create the laws that the, that the police have to abide by. Yeah. So, you know, when things get changed around, so it's like, you know, how many times have we been stopped and searched, uh, for example, on the basis of terrorism? I can I can tell you, when I tell people they get terrified, I'm like, yeah, I'm 16 years old and I'm being quoted by being searched under flipping Section 60 of the Terrorist Act. It's mm-hmm. like I've, I've had... I don't want to say I've had enough of this, but we're all tired, and it's like, this is why, and, and, and I appreciate the protest, and I appreciate that the world has come to a standstill, and we can now see this. I don't appreciate why we're having to see this, because it's, 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 it's just messed up as it, as it always bloody is, but it's just, you know, I have virtually no pessimism, so I realize that I have to do this for myself, I have to do this for my loved ones, and I have to do this for people um, around me that are black and that's it and and because other communities have always had that attitude and
1: sometimes this is, the, this is sometimes an issue with a black community is that because we empathize with other people that are going through struggles,
4: but that same energy hardly is Reciprocated in size hardly only now this feels like a slight exception because as I said, I've said it before It's like, you know the virtual signal that the, the top of sight. It's a good cyclical Activity to be excited and to be an activist and to mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know what I mean. But when 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 the music stops and it no longer becomes or it becomes less popular to do this, mm-hmm. that energy isn't going to be there, and we all know it. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but we all know it. No one's going, you know, people aren't going to be, be screaming in the way they need to scream, and you know, people be like Blackout Tuesday, and it's like Blackout Tuesday felt. I, I understood it, but I felt a bit gimmicky. It's a bit like I don't know, like Hug a Tree Day, or Flipping, you know, best
1: friend week or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It just felt like a gimmick. And this cannot be a gimmick. Yeah. And my... ...community that we need to gather up and bunch together and stuff like that. And not in a corny sense either, in a
4: genuine sense in terms of helping people's businesses and other, and other things like that. Because one of the other things that gets to me is, like, you know, for people that have businesses, please stop. And, and for customers who yeah. want to support, please stop asking for mates rates. Please stop doing it. Don't do that, man. Actually support the, 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 the cause fully. Don't be trying to, oh, bro, can I get a discount? Can I kind of, no. Can you actually help somebody grow up first and then you go and get a discount? like it just this is this is the thing so there needs to be a proper maturation and a, and, and an understanding that actually we probably will continue to be um um at least in the the kind of near medium term we probably will continue to be oppressed in a sense
1: yeah
4: and so we just have to bunch ourselves together and kind of move on from that and that's i'm I'm sorry I've had my rant gentlemen but that's probably all I have to really say so
2: yeah cool, man. Um, no, I was just going to say to I, I I hear you 100% and I think yeah it's it's about like organizing as a community from like a grassroots level. Um that's not to say that, you know, we as black people don't support each other already. We do. We I mean, nobody on this earth is fighting our cause except for us. Um so we've always supported each other, but I think we can always do we can always do more. We can always um learn from um you know, the past, um and also reorganize with the sort of the modern tools that we have today like we have social media we have the internet we have ways of organizing online without having to meet face to face we can support people financially without actually meeting them physically um so i think it's about really pulling together and understanding that the people and the oppression and the structures that we fight against aren't going to play fair and we shouldn't expect goodness from them um we've got to be out for ourselves, we have to look out for ourselves and we have to organize in such a way that is consistent with the the kind of enemy that we're dealing with you know it's not about begging the police to see us as human it's not about um, appealing to white supremacy and um, for our own humanity it, it's we, we have to I think we have to get past that um, yeah. because we can't really you can't appeal. Um, to your oppressor's conscience. I think it was Stokely Carmichael that said that because um, there is no conscience. The United States has no conscience. I think that's what the quote was. Um, but we, I think that's what we really, really need to do now moving forward. Um, and I think, especially like when it comes to protests. So this morning when I tweeted about the tactics that um, the UK police use at protests, um, Uh, basically sort of escalating the situation uh, and invoking violence to then discredit the protests. We have to be really um, cognizant of the tools that our our enemies use uh, and be wary of that and not walk into the fight that we have in front of us blind. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really need to be prepared. um, Because one thing I noticed, you know in the countries that love to protest, that are sick at protesting, um, like the French, in Hong Kong, they don't do that thing where they are surprised by how the police react with violence and brutality. They're not surprised by it. They're prepared for it. Um, And I think we can always learn from other fights. um, And we can always, you know, um, adapt adapt it to our, our own situation. And I think for us, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people um, need to get their heads around. that. You know, there's no point appealing to the police for kindness and goodness. There's no point shaking their hands. Honestly, this is how I feel. I don't know if, if you guys want to disagree, but this is how I feel. There's no point in shaking hands with your oppressor, your enemy, because they'll do pally-pally with you at the beginning of the protest where there's minimal police presence, moderate police presence. Then come the end, their colleagues will be now gearing up in right gear, um, kettling you in, swinging their batons at you and charging at you with horses. So what was the point in shaking hands with all those other police before? So anyway, that was just my
4: my little I'm um, I'm I'm with you on that. So like I was talking to someone about this yesterday. So it's like the, what you've just said in terms of like the police being pally, pally and then all of a sudden just completely doing a 180, right? It's almost comparable to like, you know, like you'll be you'll be out with colleagues, yeah, and they'll just be doing like racial slurs, not to you, but about other people or other races or you know slurs towards like lgbtq like the community there and you're thinking to yourself and you, you're just thinking to yourself okay cool like hold on like they haven't said anything about me as a black person but actually they've said everything else so what happens when i'm not here you can probably imagine all the kind of stuff that they end up saying mm-hmm. um and it's a bit like that with the police like they try and put a, 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 a image of oh, okay you know we're, we're cool and and whatever, and we want to do pally pally, and we want to have good police relations. And it's, right, right,
1: right. But, it's,
2: you know. it's, it's basically book one of how to bully and abuse. Um, you essentially put on a front for everybody else, apart from your, your um, victim, that you're a good guy, you know, you're genuine, and um, you know, you wouldn't hurt a fly. And then when there are no witnesses around, that's when you brutalize you bully and you um, abuse your victim. Um, but then as soon as everybody sort of comes back around, you're doing that thing of, oh, you know, I wouldn't hurt a flight. And that is like, we, that's what kids do from from day one. Like that's, that's basic bullying. Like we know that, that's bullying 101. Um, and this is essentially what we're seeing with law enforcement. Um, so you have now uh, in the news today oh, yeah, protests yesterday for Black Lives Matter turned violent. Um, and it's like, but why did they turn violent? Do you know what I mean? But those same people um, that are, you know, um, uh, calling out violence, rioting, or whatever, will be blind to the fact that the police were the ones that, have th- that, that instigated that violence. Um, so this is just something that we need to get past. Like, we're not, we're, not, we're not fighting a fair fight. So we need to strategize and organize to deal with that not, ex- not um, expect the police to see, our, um, to see our humanity and expect kindness from them. It's just not, for me, it's just, it's futile.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, on- I'm with that, man. I'm with that. So I was just gonna say, it reminds me, sorry, but it just reminds me, um, there's a quote by Huey P. Newton about trying to organize and mobilize and stuff like that. And actually, if you listen to what's the song that Red Cross did with um, Ceno Green, Tears of Joy, which to me, it's like a modern day um, Negro spirituals. You listen to that; the intro, that kind of talks about. There's a there's a quote there, and you know, and it's a pertinent song for this time. But yeah, I was just thinking about that quote. That that's how you, um, yeah, because they, you're right. You know, life, like People. Someone once said to me, "Life is unfair. You have got to deal with it." But also, you have to understand that sometimes you are actually playing on very much an an uneven playing field. Like there are oppressors coming from all angles, all sides uh and and with the police as well we all know they don't like to play fair we all know that especially to the ic3 uh uh, population in the uk they don't like to play fair they like to play a little bit rougher they like to i mean just you know and to to kind of show you even like a perhaps a light-hearted i don't want to say a light-hearted example but you know um JME, who's like a—he's a—he's a grime artist. He used to record videos of him being stopped by the police. JME, for those who don't know, just in case—I um, assume most people do grime artist, uh, straight out of uni, set up where Better Know with a couple of other people like Skepta and so on. Had a really nice car. I know, mean, he used to think he'd drive like a, a BMW, like a Next Five, and then he's had like BMWs and Germans over the years. And he'd always record when he gets stopped and searched. And the questions always kind of this they were always geared the same sometimes he'd have like really nice police officers sometimes he would have really hostile police officers but they always came to him with the same angle that because he's black basically the premise of this whole thing was because he's black he shouldn't be driving a german do you know what i mean um and you know we've seen this over and over the years so it's, it's it's just like a revolving door kind of thing going on here but yeah it's just i think you i think you can almost in a way come to terms with how messed up reality and and life is once you realize that you know life actually isn't fair and this game is rigged and but here i am and we have to move and we have to try and progress for the people that are coming behind us um as people have done for us uh years before and i'll leave it there
1: yeah um on i'm just really
0: conscious of time right and there's so much more that could be said on this discussion and i really feel like in this episode we've sort of touched on about seven different episodes you know and each of them could within their own right have hours of conversation um but i just thought if you guys are all right that we could wrap up here if that's cool
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah um Wicked. There's a couple of things that just really come to mind for me, man. One of them is on this idea of how do we go around changing things? Um, Audrey Lord said you, the master's tools won't dismantle the master's house, right? Like we can't use the same tools that our oppressor gives us to then redesign the system. That just doesn't work. We have to think yeah. radically. And thinking just about justice is so, um, sadly in this world a radical way of thinking. Um, Malcolm X said that, you know, if we're not careful, the media will hate us will have us hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people doing the oppressing. We've saw, seen examples of that time and time again. And let's just always question the images that we see when they use one example of something gone violent in a protest or a Hill Carnival or wherever black people are gathered and say that that's what the entire thing was. And let's just question why those images are being circulated and sent. Um, I also think that, you know, we've talked a lot about Organizing and what we can do with our money and how we can support and blah 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 I just want to like highlight people who've been on our own episodes over the years man Um the last episode of season three Elijah Lawal talked about his recently out book the clapback It's a guide to like just things you can say back to white people It's really funny as well and he's quite a funny guy So anyone who's listening go buy that man put your coins there Other thing to say is um who else do we have on? Oh, yeah. When we talked in episode seven of season three, Black to Business with Kalia look talking about Jeremy as the first discount card for Black British business. If you think about where to put your coins, put it there, get the discount card. That would be sick too. We also had on, um, oh, man, where's it gone? When I can't remember what episode it was, but when Ife, Ife came on and she talked about theatre, but actually on the other side of things, Ife runs, she's a co-founder of Chukus, which is a Nigerian tapas, which sounds sick, man. It's delicious. Honestly,
4: I've been, it's bloody delicious.
0: I mean, these are just places you can begin to put your coins. Have a look back at our old episodes and just support some of the people that we've been supporting. There are so many examples of positive things being done in the community. And at at this current moment in time, as everyone talked about on this episode, we're hoping this isn't just a moment in time. We're tired because we've seen it as being one before, but we're hopeful about the way forward. This is a moment where we've started having conversations with people that weren't interested in them before. Let's hope that this isn't just a moment that it continues, man. That's all I have to really say on the issue. Um, I want to thank you all for listening, wherever you are in the world. Stay safe if you're protesting. Look up some guidance, man. There's a lot of free counselling out there for anyone who needs counselling. Blackmindmatters.com is giving out free counselling as well for any black people experiencing some trauma at the moment. Um, there's a number of lawyers uh, if you want to just ask me I know a few who are giving out free law advice for anyone who needs it at the moment too stay safe man, the world's mad right now but hopefully this has been something that's at least been a conversation for you to listen into Um, if you want to email us at otbpodcast.co.uk Oh, OTB Podcast at gmail.com. Wow, I don't even know our own email address. Um, get us on the socials, man. <laughs> Twitter, OTB Podcast UK. Let us know how you're doing. We love you all. And over and out.